We turn in God's word this morning again to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11. One of the interesting things about Leviticus 11 is that it is the center book of the Pentateuch. So of the collection of five books of Moses, Leviticus 11 stands in the center of that which uh, God through the Spirit gave to him to give not only to the people of Israel but to us as the church of Jesus Christ in this new covenant as well. So we go back to Leviticus 11, uh, building upon where we have been before and uh, setting the stage for where we're going to be going over the next several weeks as well. Let us hear then God's breathed out word to us this morning. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying to them, speak to the people of Israel saying, these are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof is cloven footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these, the camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, it's unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopay, the hopo, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you, yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat a locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries away any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. 
Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cut is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground. The mole, the rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening. And anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin, a sack, any article that is used for any purpose, it must be put into water and it shall be unclean until the evening. Then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into an earthenware vessel... All that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food in it that could be eaten on which water comes shall be unclean. And all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean, whether oven or stove. It shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless... A spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean, but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed or any part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours and whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat. They are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms. And you shall not defy yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the reading of your Holy Scripture, dear Lord, and we just thank you for the privilege and this opportunity we have on this fall morning to come and worship you. And We just ask that you guide Pastor Bob with the words that you have provided for him, and we just ask that you open our hearts and our minds to this message, and we learn to live for you, dear Lord. And we just thank you again for all the blessings that you have given us. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. First of all, uh, to let you know that uh, for those of you who listened or were present last Sunday evening when the voice went, 
Uh, it's pretty well been gone all week, um, and uh, been dealing with a few other issues as well. Um, actually, Mark did Thursday morning Bible study. Uh, I was, wasn't even going to be up and at it for that. And um, I've asked Mark on Thursday already if he would take tonight's message, knowing that by the end of uh, preaching this morning, Sunday school, uh, service this afternoon at Walker Meadows, uh, I'm probably going to have it again. And got a big week ahead as well, a lot of things scheduled. So I asked Brother Mark if he would do so. So I thank him for kindly stepping in and really such short notice. But there's a lot here, is there not, in Leviticus chapter 11. I am convinced that uh, somehow or another this chapter always got read on the nicest spring day there was when I couldn't wait for lunch, for supper to be done so I could go back and play uh, ball with uh, the neighborhood kids outside once again on that first nice warm spring day. And we had to read all 47 verses of Leviticus chapter 11. Because that was the pattern of our family. We read a chapter every mealtime. And what a blessed, blessed thing that was over the course of, of my life. But sometimes chapters like chapter 11 get a little long, don't they? They get a little wearisome. They get a little repetitive. And perhaps we ask ourselves why. Why, out of all the things that God could have shared with us, why, out of all the infinite knowledge and wisdom, when we have so many questions about things that we think are so much more pertinent, why is it that God gave such a long, seemingly complicated chapter Dealing with just the food they could and couldn't eat. Well, let's dive into that this morning, looking at three things. First of all, the distinction that is made. Secondly, the purpose of God. And finally, as it ultimately does and always does in the book of Leviticus, it points to the fulfillment of Christ. So the distinction that's made. The first thing, and and it, it may seem small, it may seem a little inconsequential, But it's how the chapter actually begins. And the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke. This is, as I said, the breathed out word of the Lord. The Lord inspired Moses through the work of the Holy Spirit to write and to record every single detail that we have read here this morning. The Lord spoke. Regardless of what we think of all the repetition or of how hard it is maybe for us to follow, the first thing we need to do is to step back and say, this wasn't Moses' idea. Right? This wasn't the seafood buffet people's idea. This wasn't the pork farmer's idea. This was God. This was God coming to his people and speaking to his people and saying, I am making a distinction. I make a distinction amongst the animals, amongst the birds, amongst the things in the waters, amongst the swarming things. 
I make a distinction. The second thing to note is who he is addressing. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. And if you've been with us, particularly last Sunday, you ought to realize what a gracious thing this is of the Lord God. And how absolutely thrilled Aaron must have been to be on the other side of this discussion. Say, well, why? Well, what happened last week? Two of his sons got cremated because they weren't acting in a priestly manner. They weren't following all the rules and all the details. Notice what follows this. God speaks to Moses and Aaron, and what does he do? He gives them, well, just kind of some short, little, pithy, little sayings to try to build them up. Nope. 47 verses, as we have it in our English Bibles, of detail after detail after detail. But chapter 10 also dealt with the fact that Aaron and his rest of his sons and family were not allowed to mourn. And then there was in the rest of chapter 10 the whole issue of a sin offering that the priests are supposed to eat with joy and thanksgiving. Only Aaron and his sons don't. Moses kind of comes after him and says, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be doing this. How can we eat with joy and thanksgiving on a day like this? In essence, we'd be lying if we did this. And Moses says, okay. Now the question is, what does God say? And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron. God comes to his high priest. And he is lifting him up. He's not coming shredding him. He's not coming and tearing him to pieces. He is coming and lifting him up. This is such a gracious thing of God. That it's not just Moses. But Aaron is now included in as well. His priesthood is intact. In spite of what happened in chapter 10. The priesthood is still there. Well, what are the distinctions? Well, we're not going to go into all of the details that are given here, but it's between clean and unclean creatures. And it involves not just the eating of those particular animals, but of touching them, or of having some of them touch something of yours and what you're to do about it. So God is coming and making a distinction amongst the creatures that he has made and saying for the Israelites, catch this, for the Israelites, some of those creatures are unclean. Some of those creatures are to be treated as clean. Some of them you may eat, some of them you may not. Why does God make the list that he does? Because he's God and he can But there might be some other background things. Many of the things that you find in the unclean list 
are actually things that in pagan cultures of that day were honored and worshipped. They were things that were thought highly of. They were things that were elevated. And so there, 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 there is a, a, a message that God is sending to his people and saying, no, not the things of the world. Not that which the world lifts up. Not that which the world bows down to. Not that which the world sacrifices. You do things my way. Secondly, there, there is some truth to the fact that many of the things on the unclean list are not good. They're, they're, they're not good, edible things. They're things that eat other things. They're things that eat the roadkill and so on. And God's saying, I don't want you in there. I, they, there's, too many, there's too many health concerns. But really, when it comes down to it, what it really is is simply a test. You may eat of any tree of the garden, but you can't eat of that one. Here are all these creatures. These are the ones you can eat. These are the ones you can touch. These are the ones you cannot. You are my covenant people. Just like he comes to Adam, you're my covenant people. But in this, There's something so beautiful. Because what else happens is this. It's not only this distinction between the creatures. We, those Israelites, became clean or unclean. If they touched an unclean animal, ate an unclean animal, had an unclean animal touch them, carried the carcass of an unclean animal, or any of the other categories, what happens? They become unclean. But what does God do? When you become unclean, there are two things an unclean person had to do. They had to wash their clothes. Isaiah speaks about our filthy garments. See, this is a picture that God is using for his people of sin. It's a picture and a reminder that that all of our sins make us filthy. All of our sin makes us unclean. What happens then when when your, your clothing touches one of these unclean creatures? You have to wash it. Just like you as an individual need to be washed and cleansed. When are they unclean until? It's always the same. You're unclean until evening. What's so big about evening? There were two sacrifices made every day. Two offerings that are presented. One in the morning and one in the evening. The morning sacrifice is the same offering as the evening sacrifice. 
and it is for sin. Why are they unclean until evening? Because once the sacrifice for their sin is rising up from that altar of burnt offering, they're no longer unclean. Isn't that a gorgeous picture? See, we may look at this as, wow, this is really picky and so on. But for an Israelite, it's like, I don't have to hang on to my uncleanness for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks if I touch one of these unclean creatures. No. Just wash your clothes. Wash them. Purify them. Cleanse them. And at evening time, that sin offering, if it's pleasing aroma to the Lord, is accepted. And your sin is now covered. See, it's really a picture of grace here, is what is going on. It's the picture of of God, is it not, in the garden. Taking an animal, killing it, and giving to Adam and Eve a covering for their shame and for their sin. God is providing a means Of renewal. God's providing a means of covering. As that clean lamb. Is offered as the sacrifice to God. Reminds me of something doesn't it? Reminds me of the blessing. That you and I are reminded of through the sacrifice of Christ. Because God has a purpose. See, all of this is a purpose. What's the purpose? God's picky about animals? No. What's the purpose? God wants to make it as complicated as possible? No. God wants his people to be holy like he is. See how often we read that here at the end? Right? For I am the Lord your God, verse 44. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am holy. Verse 45. For I am the God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall, therefore, be holy. For I am holy. God's desire, his purpose is that we be holy. To be separate from all Other people. That's what he desired for Israel. That their life would be lived as a nation, as a people, as his covenant people. In such a way that everybody would say, wow, you people are unique. Yeah, God didn't want them to fit in with culture. God didn't want them to fit in with society. God didn't want them to go underground, as it were, and kind of get away with being a Christian, but never being noticed and never being detected. He wanted it obvious. These are my people. And they live in a very unique way to the rest of the people all around them. 
They have different customs. They have different habits. They have a different lifestyle. They wear different clothing. They think differently. They act differently. They have different rules. They have different laws. Because they are my people. Because I am the Lord their God. And I am holy. I am separate from all sin. And I call my people to be separate from all sin. And he provides a means by which it could be done. They're to be set apart, to be without mixture with the world. The understanding of that, yes, they'd have to be in the world, but they don't have to be of the world. Of Paul speaking, Okay, after he's done with all of those beautiful texts, dealing with our salvation, tells us in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Live as God's holy people. See, that's his purpose. That's the purpose behind Leviticus chapter 11. That's why God reemphasizes it twice. Be holy. Because I am a holy God. I am distinct from all the creatures of the world. There is nothing, nothing in all of creation that is like unto me. And I desire that you as my people be unique in this entire world. But as we continue to find, all of these things that we find in Leviticus all look forward to Christ. These are all parts of of the shadows that, that are cast, shadows that are laid down. That yes, as we look at them, we see the shadow, but we have the glorious, glorious, beautiful privilege of seeing the reality of what all of those shadows pointed to what does all of this in Leviticus chapter 11 teach you it teaches me that wow being a holy person involved everyday normal run of the life affairs it involved things like grasshoppers and locusts can you imagine walking through that desert and encountering all of these things the scorpions the ants the flies All of this stuff that they're going to come in contact with. And living a holy life meant living that holy life in the midst of common life. In the midst of ordinary life. And I'm thinking, sin is is going to be everywhere present then. It's going to stick. How true that is, isn't it? How true that is that as we go through just our common, ordinary, day-to-day lives. How oftentimes it is, is it not true, that the holiness that God calls us to in life 
we forfeit for the things of this world. And it sticks to us. What are we supposed to do? Go out and get our suit cleaned? Just wait till the evening and then it's, it's all done. No. See, what are they doing? They're looking. They're looking. It's picturing. It's foreshadowing for us Christ and the work of Christ. Because you see, the purpose is not the, cha- the same. It has not changed. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 1. See, this is where folks, once again, well, that's Old Testament. We're not living in the Old Testament. None of that stuff applies. We can live any way we want. Don't tell me how to live. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. That's all, that's all that matters. 1 Peter chapter 1. Find verse 13. 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct since it is written. Notice what the quote is. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God's purpose hasn't changed. He wants you and me to be holy people. That's his desire for us. And he's provided the washing. Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. The washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. See, we don't take our clothes anymore off, okay, and wash them. It's now the Holy Spirit who comes in and washes us and cleanses us with the washing of regeneration. And it's Christ. It's Christ who comes and covers with his righteousness, with his perfect holiness, with his perfect obedience even unto death. Yes, even death on a cross. With his keeping every one of these Levitical laws. God says, the sacrifice that that lamb makes That sacrifice lifts and removes your sin. And to fulfill the picture, in Acts chapter 10, Peter, who's having a struggle with with what's going on in the church and where things are at and so on, is at the house of a guy by the name of Simon the Tanner. 
It's an interesting place for a Jew to be, but anyway. And he's sleeping. It's the middle of the day. Three times this sheet filled with a whole bunch of creatures that we just read about in Leviticus chapter 11. How do we know that? Because the command comes to Peter, rise, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for that one. I'm not eating any of that stuff. That stuff will make me unclean. To a Jew, what makes them unclean if they kill and eat everything that we just read in Leviticus chapter 11? The sheet comes again. We have the same thing happen. When Peter refuses, the Lord speaks to Peter and says, Peter, Peter, Peter. Whatever I call whatever I call clean, don't treat as unclean. You know what happened at that very moment? There's a knock on the door. Messengers from a guy by the name of Cornelius. Peter, we'd like you to come. We'd like you to to speak to us. But we're Gentiles. And Peter goes. The church of Jesus Christ has not been the same since. Because you see, the specific laws of Leviticus 11 have been set aside. I don't want anyone to think that if you ate your shrimp last night, somehow you're unclean. But the principle has remained the same, and the purpose remains. Too often, we're making distinctions about things we should not be making distinctions about. We're concerned about who might be coming to church and who might be joining and whether or not those people really should belong to our church. And in our own hearts, there is a cesspool of sin. Jesus said it's not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles them. It's that which comes out of the heart. See, what this passage really calls us to is not only, not only to look to Christ as the sacrifice for our sin, but it also calls us to look at our hearts. Isn't that exactly what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 11? Let a man examine himself. Not examine somebody else, not examine them. Examine your own heart. Are you holy before the Lord? Can you on your own life in the last week stand before the Lord your God and say, I have committed no sin? Or as you look at your heart, as you look at your thoughts, as you look at your motives, as you look at your words, as you look at your actions, do you see uncleanness?
and uncleanness. Sin. You don't have to wait till evening and you don't have to wash your clothes. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been washed through the work of the Holy Spirit and the sacrifice for your sin doesn't wait till evening. It's already been made. We come, we come to celebrate the fact that the sacrifice is already made. And it was a perfect sacrifice for you and for me to wash and to cleanse us from all our filthy stains.